fetal echogenic bowel on second trimester ultrasound, benign finding, or a cause for concern? Let's talk about that in this session. Echogenic bowel is a nonspecific finding observed during 0.2 to 1.8% of routine second trimester ultrasound exams. The diagnosis is made when the fetal bowel displays an echogenicity or brightness equal to or greater than that of surrounding fetal bone, typically the iliac wing. If echogenic bowel is suspected, the ultrasound gain should be turned down to the lowest setting at which bone still appears white. If the fetal bowel continues to have an echogenic appearance, then the diagnosis is made. All right, let's stop there for a minute because we have to talk about this transducer gain because that can affect the image of the bowel. Transducer frequency also can affect the diagnosis because higher frequency transducers tend to exaggerate the finding secondary to enhanced visualization of small bowel submucosa. So, the diagnosis of fetal echogenic bowel should be routinely confirmed at the lowest gain and with the lower frequency transducer, typically a 5 megahertz or less. Now, despite these measures, the diagnosis of echogenic bowel continues to still have a somewhat subjective component. Now, although a grading system of degree of echogenicity has been proposed, bowel not as bright as bone has not been associated with an increased risk of adverse outcomes. So once again, currently there is some subjective component to the diagnosis of echogenic bowel, but this once again should be confirmed with the lowest gain and a low frequency transducer. What does this even mean? Is this a benign finding or something that we should be concerned about? Although echogenic bowel can be a transient, idiopathic finding in about 0.5% of fetuses, it also can be associated with a wide range of some pathological conditions like primary gastrointestinal pathology, aneuploidy, cystic fibrosis, and possibly even congenital viral infection. The estimated incidence of these conditions is highly variable, likely due in part to the relatively small sample sizes studied and the subjective component of the diagnosis of echogenic bowel like we've already discussed. In fetuses with a non-pathological cause for echogenic bowel, the primary mechanism is thought to be accumulation with meconium. Prior studies have also demonstrated the development of echogenic bowel following invasive procedures like amniocentesis and intrauterine fetal transfusion, and this is likely secondary to fetal swallowing of blood that's in the amniotic cavity. It has also been demonstrated that this finding can persist for two to four weeks following such procedures. 
primary gastrointestinal pathology like bowel obstruction, atresia, and perforation also may cause an echogenic appearance of the fetal bowel. In cases of obstruction and atresia, decreased meconium fluid content is the proposed cause for the increase in echogenicity. However, the presence of meconium outside the intestinal lumen likely is responsible for the echogenic appearance in cases of bowel perforation. Echogenic bowel has also been reported in cases of Hirschsprung's disease. The estimated incidence of aneuploidy in fetuses with isolated echogenic bowel has been documented to range from 3% up to 16%, with trisomy 21 being the most commonly diagnosed aneuploidy in this population. Other karyotype abnormalities are trisomy 18, 13, and Turner syndrome that's also been reported with some chromosomal mosaism. Hypoperistalsis due to mechanical or functional bowel obstruction with subsequent dehydration of the meconium is thought to be the main mechanism of action when these fetuses have an abnormal karyotype. This results in the echogenic bowel appearance. Now, although the incidence of chromosomal abnormalities is higher in fetuses with additional ultrasound markers of aneuploidy, echogenic bowel as an isolated finding still can confer an increased risk with a likelihood ratio of about 6 for trisomy 21, and that's above the maternal age-adjusted baseline risk. We're going to get into the workup in just a minute, but remember that, that aneuploidy should be ruled out even when it's an isolated finding with trisomy 21 being the most likely trisomy in this population. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, remember, we're talking about potential causes of echogenic bowel found on ultrasound, and we just covered the possibility of aneuploidy. Well, what about cystic fibrosis? Cystic fibrosis also should be considered when echogenic bowel is diagnosed. It is thought that abnormal pancreatic enzyme secretion leads to thickened meconium and subsequent meconium ileus that can be observed in 10 to 20% of newborns with cystic fibrosis. This can be seen on ultrasound as an echogenic bowel. Bowel. The estimated risk associated with echogenic bowel and cystic fibrosis ranges from 0% to 13% according to the data. This finding of dilated loops of bowel in addition to echogenic bowel may increase the risk of CF up to about 17%. Lastly, congenital infection also has been associated with isolated echogenic bowel, direct damage to the fetal intestinal wall with subsequent paralytic ileus and possible perforation can be seen in certain cases of infection. CMV is the most commonly observed infection, but rubella, varicella, 
herpes, toxoplasmosis, and even parvo have also been reported in these cases. Remember that that makes up the torch panel of types of infection. Although the majority of studies quote a about 3 to 4% incidence of congenital infection in fetuses with this echogenic bowel, rates as high as 10% have been reported. In one series of 650 cases with primary CMV infection, seven cases, about 1.2%, had isolated echogenic bowel as the sole ultrasonographic finding. What are we supposed to do when we find this finding on an ultrasound? What's the best diagnostic algorithm? Well, the finding of echogenic bowel on second trimester ultrasound should prompt a detailed ultrasound exam in search for other abnormalities. The data have shown an increased incidence of additional anomalies, particularly renal and cardiac anomalies in fetuses with echogenic bowel. So that's a clinical pearl. Remember to look for the kidneys and the heart structure in cases of echogenic bowel. If there is a normal four-chamber view and the outflow tracts are visualized as normal, then a fetal echo is not necessary. However, if the views are abnormal or if they're not obtainable, then a fetal echo should be performed. Amniocentesis also should be offered to all patients irrespective of the presence or absence of associated anomalies given that echogenic bowel can be present as an isolated finding in anywhere from 4 to 25% of fetuses with aneuploidy. Amniotic fluid should be sent for fetal karyotype as well as PCR for the most common congenital infections like CMV. Well, that's all fine and good, but what if patients decline invasive testing? In patients who decline invasive testing, maternal IgG and IgM titers for CMV can still be drawn. And if these are suggestive of primary infection, then amnio may be reconsidered. Without a history of exposure or other clinical risk factors, the yield of positive results for other congenital infections likely will be quite low and therefore, according to SMFM, should not be obtained routinely. Now, if unknown, parental cystic fibrosis carrier status screening should also be obtained. Racial and ethnic limitations of current cystic fibrosis mutation screening panels should be taken into consideration, though, when interpreting the results. If either parent is found to be a carrier, then genetic counseling can be performed to discuss the risks and benefits of invasive testing. Blood-stained amniotic fluid may suggest a prior intraamniotic bleed that may be a contributing factor to the echogenic appearance of the bowel like we discussed earlier. Now, although echogenic bowel has been reported in cases of homozygous alpha-thalassemia, testing for this disorder should be reserved only for high-risk populations like those of Southeast Asian or African descent. Now, in the absence of prenatal diagnostic studies, pediatricians should be made aware of the antenatal finding of echogenic bowel at the time of delivery so that appropriate neonatal evaluation for congenital infection and cystic fibrosis can be performed. So that's a clinical pearl. Remember, this isn't just an obstetrical issue, but this carries over to neonatology and pediatrics. All right, as we get to the end of the session, a quick word about the subsequent prognosis of this pregnancy. Remember, we're talking about fetal echogenic bowel when it's diagnosed in the second trimester. What about the rest of the pregnancy?
The presence of echogenic bowel on fetal ultrasound, both when isolated and when present in combination with other anomalies, has been associated with intrauterine growth restriction and in some reports, intrauterine fetal demise. So don't just write that off as an isolated finding with no prognostic value. It can make a difference. Serial evaluation of fetal growth by ultrasound assessment should be performed in these cases. Now, although some have observed either complete or partial resolution of echogenic bowel on serial ultrasound exams in fetuses that are actually normal, subsequent studies have demonstrated normal fetal outcomes even in the presence of persistent echogenic bowel. So that's reassuring. So here's a clinical pearl. Persistent echogenicity of the fetal bowel should not be necessarily viewed as a marker for adverse outcome. Actually, studies suggest that most antenatal stillbirths occur at a pre-viable or periviable gestational age of about 22 to 24 weeks. Antenatal testing can be considered, but its utility remains controversial in the management of isolated echogenic bowel unless fetal growth restriction or other indications develop. Well, that wraps up our session covering isolated echogenic fetal bowel on second trimester ultrasound. The data for this podcast comes from the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine Consult and data brief regarding the subject. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.